Welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. We're so glad you're here. This season, we are gathering around the mics to share about the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You can find out more about our work on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. I'm Sister Julie Marie Benedicta. I'm Sister Oriane Pietra-Rene. And today we are continuing our journey through the Sanctifier, and we are on Chapter 4. The Holy Spirit, God's Gift to Us. Yeah. So good. Like, just the title alone, honestly. Right. And we're not talking about, like, I brought you a stick of gum kind of gift. Or even, like, a box of chocolates and some roses. Right. It's like, here is all of myself. Yeah. Here you go. Well, that was a nice episode. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Go pray with that, y'all. Yep. (laughs) I'm actually really excited for this. I love how you guys are probably already noticing listening to this that he draws very heavily, consistently from John 14. Yes. But also through many other aspects of scripture. And if you actually have the book in front of you, you may be noticing that he draws from Paul a lot more than we actually talk about, even though we are daughters of St. Paul, just Mm -hmm. because there's so much else to talk about. Mm -hmm. But this chapter in particular is really foundational, I think, to understanding both who the Holy Spirit is and who God is and desires to be for us and how we understand grace, because grace grace and gift, technically speaking, have the same root word. Right? Yeah, they're fairly synonymous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, grace is a gift that is from God. Mm-hmm. And I, I love, okay, so we talked a little bit already, I think, in the last chapter about the concept of possession Yes, in, in this context. And the very first sentence of this chapter, the Holy Spirit lives in us not only to possess us, but also to be possessed by us, to be ours. Yeah, I could just like not even read the rest of the chapter and just sit with that sentence for like five days. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I think I think at some point last season I I went off on something about how like the Holy Spirit, like Paul at one point in the in Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit is like basically the down payment on our inheritance. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he's the first installment of our inheritance. (laughs) And like I, I just. I can't even like keep it makes my head want to explode to think about the fact that like the down payment on the gift, like not just like fully the gift itself, but like the down payment on the gift is God is God himself. Mm -hmm. What even? Yeah. Like that's everything. Right. Yeah. And and how much do we totally take this for granted and like not think about it? And like it's but it's it's y'all. We live, I don't want to use the word mundane because it sounds so negative, but I'm going to use it anyway. We live mundane lives in the sense that the everyday is happening. Mm -hmm. All these things that seem so trivial as though it's just the stuff that you do. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the stuff. It's It's not mundane and it's not trivial because we are living all of those things out of this inheritance, out of God himself. I I was so struck reading that first sentence. I went actually went back to some different instances in scripture where people claim God as their own Mm. in different ways. And I looked at a couple examples in particular. One is in Ruth. That's actually one of my favorite ones because she never says to God in a prayer that you see in the book, you are my God. She says to Naomi, who is Hebrew, who has the Lord God as her God. Ruth is a a Moabite, a convert Mm -hmm. who... In terms of her family's like legacy, would have had other gods, but has obviously had some type of conversion to marry into the family, right? Yes. And she says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Mm-hmm. Like I am claiming God as my own. I love that. I love how at the resurrection, when Thomas isn't around... <laughs> Poor Thomas. When Thomas isn't around and Jesus shows up to absolutely everyone, basically. Anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Except for him. (laughs) And when he finally shows up to Thomas to give him the proof that he seemed to really need, Thomas's declaration is what? My Lord and my God. Yeah. 
And in Isaiah, Isaiah 25 has this really beautiful quote where he says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. And I really Mm -hmm. love that because Isaiah is recognizing that basically there is some type of possession here. Like you are my God, but you are so beyond me. Yeah. You are so before me. You are so after me. You are so like, and yet God is infinite. Mm-hmm. We are not. Mm-hmm. And yet God comes to dwell in us. And and that indwelling is something unique to post-Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Like Christ made that possible. The fact that in the Old Testament, we see that aspect of possession over and over and over and over again even before the indwelling. Mm -hmm. So how much more so can we, you know, express those words ourselves? I love what you're pulling out in some of these, like especially you see it in Ruth, but it's definitely, it's there in all all of them, but especially Mm -hmm. in Ruth, you see that there has to be like this, this empty handedness in order to receive the Mm -hmm. God that they're coming after. Like Ruth had to have denounced the gods of her past Right. In order to really be able to say to Naomi, your God is my God. Right. And and that's true of us too. Like there's so much that we have to be able to let go of in order to properly receive the gift that God desires to give us of mm-hmm. himself. Augustine talks about this a lot. Thomas Aquinas talks about this. But like just that that being able to be kind of an emptied vessel in order to be filled with the infinite is just like such a beautiful spiritual thing to to really reflect with and and to ask the Lord for help with mm-hmm. in order to be able to really receive what it is that he desires to give us. Yeah, I I was kind of, St. Augustine has this quote, um, which I'm going to butcher as I do many quotes, <laughs> but basically he's talking about how... We don't have a library in our podcast. Yeah, TV, guys. <laughs> and my memory's not the best. Like yeah. I remember the concept, but not the words. Basically, he's talking about how in his deepest wound... God kind of like dazzled him, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing because as you're saying, in order to receive something, there needs to be space. Mm-hmm. So our hands need to be empty. We need to be open. And I think that that is actually a really powerful reminder that in our woundedness, when we have, you know, like a physical gaping hole in us where there really shouldn't be one, right? hmm God can enter into those things. Yeah. He can enter into the woundedness of our soul, the woundedness of any reality that we're facing to come into that. I think when Thomas sticks his hand, when Jesus is like, yeah, stick your hand in my side, like to me, I mean, it's a little bit gross to think about, but it's also really beautiful because that meant that Christ was showing a vulnerability. He literally let himself be opened up physically for us. And it's a it's a beautiful reminder that he lets us into him mm-hmm. in, in this physical reminder of a spiritual reality. So how much more so for us as well, that he comes into all of those wounds for us. And when we allow them to be open, when we allow our hands to be empty, when we allow space, and we don't try to shove it full of things that aren't helpful, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like if if you have some kind of open wound and you're putting the wrong things in it, it's going to become an infection, yes. right? Yeah. If you have an open wound and you put the right things in it, it will heal. Yeah. And I think that's really important for us to remember is so many times we try to fill our hands, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our wounds with things that they're not longing for. They don't need instead of allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing God to fill those spaces. And it affects our ability to really enter into deeply this relationship of possessing in in the good way that we talked about in the last Mm -hmm. episode, possessing God in in a space of belonging and transformation. Yeah. And I love too how Martinez pulls out, it is characteristic of love to give gifts. Yes. Like, isn't that something that we just automatically want to do when we love somebody? We mm-hmm. want to give them a gift. Like, think about little children and like <laughs> how they'll make like a little piece of art or something and present it as like this 
gift of gifts right. to their parents or something, you know, like we from the from the very youngest age, we love to give gifts. Mm -hmm. And so Martina says it is characteristic of love to give gifts. But the first gift, the gift par excellence is love itself. The Holy Spirit is the love of God. And therefore, he is the gift of God. Yeah. Like, whoa. And then later, a couple paragraphs later, he says, have we thought about what it means to possess the gift of God in our souls? No. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> if we have, we haven't thought about it enough. For right. sure. Yes. Like, oh, my goodness. So good. And I think it's also characteristic of love to want to hold it close. Yes. Right. Yeah. When we love a baby, we want to hold it close. When we love somebody, we want to hold it close. Even like... <laughs> When we love a thing, we want to hold it close. Like, mm -hmm. how many times does a kid pick up a plushie and just squeeze it? Mm -hmm. Because they love it. I mean, not the kind of love we're talking about with God, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. it's a display. It's a display of something really innate within yeah. us of wanting to hold things close. And there are so many moments in our lives where we long to hold something close and we can't. And there is an ache that comes out of that. Yeah. Like, how many times do we yearn to hold someone who's suffering? But we can't because they're in another province, they're in another state, they're in another country, and we're we're on the phone with them or yeah. we're texting with them. And we might send, like, I wish I could give you a hug right now. Yeah. Right? And that's the closest we can get. Or, like, we really wish that someone would give us a hug or absolutely whatever the case is. There are so many types of love that remind us of that, that innate longing we have to hold things close. And I, I really, I think that if we have a, glim a glimmer of that the more we start to become attuned to actually somewhere within us, we have the same longing to hold God close. Yeah. And that longing comes from his longing for us. Mm -hmm. The reason we have that longing is because we are made in his image and likeness and he longs to hold us close. Like the longing itself is also a gift. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that hunger or that ache, I mean, there's a pain in that. But it's a it's a gift that if you have that longing, if you have that ache, even if it hurts, that is a gift in and yeah. of itself because it tells you that you are starting to become in tune, right? Yeah. With God's longing for you. Yeah. And there's a particular vulnerability about that too. Mm -hmm. Like when there is a longing, when there is, when there is a love, I think, there's always a fear of something of that love going unrequited. Like right. there's always a fear of, of, am I too much mm. or am I not enough? One or the other. Mm -hmm. And is my love going to be kind of thrown back at me? Is my love going to be rejected? Is my love going to be undesired? Right. Or is my desire for their love going to be a problem? Is mm -hmm. it going to be, is it going to get in the way? Is it like, there's, there's a lot of different ways we could think about it. I'm sure everybody Listening can have their own way of kind of verbalizing this fear or this vulnerability, but it does require, even with God, kind of this opening and this vulnerability and like this, this kind of spiritual nakedness before the Lord to be able to say like, here I am, I want to give myself completely to you and I want to receive you completely and I don't know what that's going to mean mm. or what that's going to look like. Or how that's going to affect my life or what it's going to mean I have to let go of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And and if we're honest, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that mm -hmm. either. But with his grace and with his love and with his peace and with his patience, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can. We can get there. Mm -hmm. I love to. Okay. I love typology. Yes. And for anyone who has not listened to our previous season where we have talked a little bit about typology, basically... It's being able to see either people or circumstances from the Old Testament as prefigurements or mm -hmm. examples of what Christ will be fully, right? Perfectly. So we talk a lot about Christ as the new Adam. And we talk about him that way because basically he kind of is the fulfillment of what Adam is kind of telling us Um or, or laying out as the precursor of who he will be. He also fulfills a lot of the things that Adam wasn't able to do. And I think it's so moving to be able to see the differences in their vulnerability. In the garden, Adam kind of fails to fight for Eve, which is actually why when we talk about original sin, we kind of put it on Adam theologically, right? Mm -hmm. 
even though we talk about it as though it's Eve, <laughs> like because yeah. she ate the apple yeah. or the fruit, whatever. But Adam's failure, in a sense, was first. And this mm-hmm. is because of many reasons, but like, you know, it was to him that the instruction to not eat the fruit was given. Eve wasn't on the scene yet. It was on him to guard the garden. He did not stick up to Eve when the serpent was speaking to her, presuming he was there, which the text does seem to suggest in mm-hmm. verse 6 of stick up chapter 3. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. What did I say? Stick up to her. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he doesn't stop her mm-hmm. from eating the fruit. And even when she does eat the fruit, he had the opportunity to be like, Eve, oh my gosh, let's mm-hmm. go to the father and mm-hmm. ask him for forgiveness. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll eat it too because I also want to be like God. <laughs> like, so, and he was first, right? He has the headship there. So in all of these ways, he did fail to fight for his bride, for her protection, for her well-being. And so they fell together, right? Mm-hmm. Also, as soon as they fell, what was one of the first things they did? They could no longer be vulnerable even to each other, yeah. right? They had to cover themselves with clothing so that they wouldn't be naked before each other. Yeah, And then they hide from God and blah, blah, blah. So if we look at that and we contrast it with Jesus' example, so many different things are happening. He fights for his bride in the garden. He refuses to give in to to fear or to, you know, that that grappling between my will and God's kind of thing. He fully goes with the Father's will. And then with that comes the ultimate vulnerability, and not just in the sense that he would have to lay down his life and die. Jesus literally is stripped naked. Where Adam hid and clothed himself, Jesus is stripped naked before his bride right? The people that he is redeeming and fighting for. He is stripped naked before them, a huge vulnerability. He is put to death for them. And he doesn't hide from God in that. He feels the sense of abandonment, but what does he do in it? Does he hide? Does he like pretend like God's not there? He cries out to God in that. He puts himself into his vision. So to I mean, obviously God could already see him, but like, but just metaphorically. Yeah. And I think that is such an important example for us to see God is not asking us to do anything that he has not first done Mm -hmm. and that he cannot do in us. Mm -hmm. So just as the Holy Spirit prays in us, we know from St. Paul kind of draws that out. The Holy Spirit brings within us the Trinity who has already been so vulnerable to us. Yes. So for us to be vulnerable to God, we have both an example and a mentor and someone to kind of be our strength in that for us. Yeah. And we talked a little bit in the last episode about um, when we were explaining kind of how to think about possession Mm -hmm. in this portion. And the last chapter was more about a little bit more about God possessing us. And this chapter is a little bit more about us possessing God. Right. But I think I pulled in that quote uh, from this chapter that possession is proper to love. Yes. And in its first stage, it is a desire of possession. Mm-hmm. Perfect love is the joy of possession. And love that is consummated is the abyss of possession. Mm. Fathomless. Fathomless. Like like when you think of an abyss, infinite volume, right? Mm. Like anything mm-hmm. can fit into it. So like this desire of possession is a little bit where some of the vulnerability comes in. And then perfect love is the joy of possession. And again, this is mutual possession. Mm -hmm. It is the joy, the enjoyment of it. And then love that is consummated. So often we think about love being consummated like in the marital embrace. Right. That's one thing. But then there's also love that is consummated in many other ways. There are other ways of consummating love. There's marital love is a kind of love that needs to be consummated, but like Jesus consummates his love for us on the cross. Right. Um, You know, as religious, like our love is consummated for God in our vows, in the Mm -hmm. profession of our vows. Mm -hmm. So there's there's lots of different things that that can mean, but it is the abyss of possession. And I love that that comes with that word that we use for marriage so often, consummation, because in in the marriage vow formula, traditionally, at least in English, we say to have Mm -hmm. and to hold. Mm -hmm. right which to have is a possession type of word and to hold reminds us what kind of possession Mm -hmm. this is right and it really is a scandal of human sin that we kind of keep falling back into that dis uh discomfort with the word possession because really this is what it should mean Mm -hmm. and Mm 
I, I love that understanding of if we're talking about Christ as the bridegroom, which he does so often, right, with mm-hmm. himself, and us as the bride, it's really difficult sometimes to understand what bride means as a collective. How can I individually be bride? How can the church as a whole, like mm-hmm. every little single person, be bride? How can I be bride if I'm a dude, right? Like we have all of these questions. How can I be bride to Christ if I'm bride to Chris? You know, right. like, <laughs> like, there's sure. all of these different questions, but the reality is mm-hmm. that our our understanding of bridegroom and bride, which comes from the sacrament of marriage, part of the reason we call it sacrament is also because it's reflective of the spiritual reality of us as a collective and as individuals with Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of possession that like we are partners, we are lovers, we are kin, like all of those things together. Yes. <laughs> that life is generated from this. Yes. That fruit is generated from this. All of that kind of thing. Whether or not our earthly marriages do reflect every single, I mean, we live things imperfectly. We are fallen human beings. Sure. But that's what it's pointing to. Yeah. And I love, like, when I think about this, for me as a religious woman, one of the very (laughs) first things that pops into my head is the Song of Songs. Mm. And especially kind of the refrain, there are moments in the Song of Songs when the bride says, I am my my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Yes. And there are moments when she says the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, like I am his and he is mine and, and I he is mine and I am his like mm-hmm. like kind of going back and forth between who comes first in in this statement and I just I love that like it's almost like a refrain that just kind of pops in like in a in a subtle way throughout the book yeah. and and there's just something so beautiful about that but then also within that there's a lot of different references to different kinds of relationship and like okay so maybe for us with western ears in the 21st century, it's awkward to hear my sister, my bride. Mm, mm-hmm. But there's something really beautiful about the various levels of relationship between yes. the bride and the bridegroom mm-hmm. that are that's really being expressed here. I mean, you you could just as easily say, my best friend, my bride. Right. You know? And and so really what they're saying is what the author of the Song of Songs is trying to do is to express all the different kinds of love that exist yeah. all wrapped up into this one relationship that that is kind of um, becoming a paradigm of what our relationship with God is to be like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important because when we live out our relationship with Christ, we call him brother mm-hmm. and we call him bridegroom. Mm-hmm. So likewise, he calls us sister or brother mm-hmm. and he calls us bride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like, because of our relationship to the father. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So every single thing is reflective, as you're saying, is of a different facet of our reality. Mm-hmm. And something I love in exploring that too is, you know, you know that expression, blood is thicker than water. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find really moving about reflecting on that in the light of this like multifaceted, like just love, prism of love <laughs> with Jesus, is that no matter, no matter who we are from, biologically, the waters of baptism. Mm. are thicker Mm -hmm. than the blood that we come from. But if we're talking about blood, Christ's blood is thicker (laughs) than every other blood. That's where our belonging is. Do you know the Garth Brooks song? Uh, Do I? I don't know. They say blood is thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood. No, I have not heard that song. (laughs) I like it. It's a bit cheesy, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really think, you know, I used to really struggle with understanding myself, especially in a personal way, as Mm -hmm. bride to Mm -hmm. bridegroom. It was easier for me to think of it hypothetically, like the whole church, individual people maybe, but not me. And I think part of that really does come from the fact that I didn't have sisters growing up. I grew up with brothers. Like, it's just, it was just weird for me. (laughs) But the more I started to understand, like, all of the facets of Christ's love and how he was in inviting all of those facets to be reflected in how I loved him. Mm-hmm. That was very freeing to me to break away from any, like, you know, worldly stereotypes that I might have had associated, like, pink frou-frou wedding stuff. <laughs> I don't know. You're not the fairy princess type? No. <laughs> I'm shocked. I never would have guessed. Yeah. But I think that that can really help to break down those barriers. And for... Because equally, a man should be able to find just as much meaning yeah. in this in the Song of Songs 
with his relationship to Christ as a woman. Yes. And any type, like like myself, any type of woman should be able to find just as much meaning, whether you're, you fall into more of the, like, quote unquote, girly girl category or mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. because of that, like, multifaceted love. Yeah. Okay. I have a thought. Okay. So when we talk about intimacy with God, we do usually talk about Jesus. Like, we just kind of naturally go there very uh-huh. often. So he has, um, Martinez, has a quote in chapter four. I believe it's on page 26 of our version of the book. And he says, the soul in grace. I was just looking at that Oh, line. dude. Same wavelength. Holy Spirit. No pun intended. The soul in grace has this ineffable intimacy with the three persons of the most holy trinity. Mm-hmm. But the first intimacy, mm-hmm. this is going to be a little bit counterintuitive for some of you guys, and me too. But the first intimacy is with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. because he is the first gift. With a capital G. With a capital G. Charity, on which this close intimacy is founded, is a disposition for receiving the Holy Spirit and assimilation with him. And I think for so many of us, because the Holy Spirit is a little bit more of an enigmatic character. Like mm-hmm. the father identifies himself as father. Sometimes he compares himself to a mother. So we have some kind of earthly reference for him. Mm-hmm. The son not only lives out of that like filial wording, but also literally became incarnate, right? right. So we have a much, a very good frame of reference for him. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit, like what, he's fire, he's a dove, he's a spirit. Like it's harder for us to conceptualize what that actually means because we have less of a physical grounding for it. So it's easy for us to say or feel, I have a relationship with the Father. I have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to get closer to the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. In reality, when we start to really consciously get to know or pinpoint things about the Holy Spirit, often it becomes this like, oh my gosh, I recognize you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how those, mm-hmm. those people, you feel like you've known them your entire life? Yeah. Sometimes it really is that feeling and it's because you have. You have known him your entire life. Yes. You just didn't realize that yes. that was him. I went on a retreat once. Oh, it was the same retreat when I started to read this book and I was like mad. I think I shared the, in the intro episode, I was like mad at God and- um, <laughs> Yes. About some stuff that had happened. And mm-hmm. I was feeling a little bit kind of separated from Jesus. And, and I picked up this book and he's describing the father's, the bosom of immense tenderness. Right. And all anyway, so I, I went into that in the first in the first episode of the season. But um, on that same retreat, there happened to be uh, a Dominican uh, retreat director mm. on that retreat. And I went to him for confession. And I something of this kind of hesitancy with the father came up. And he, with all the proper, like, prologue of, like, it's really hard to talk about the Trinity without, like, falling into heresy. So, like, <laughs> take this as it's meant, you know. But right. but his point was really, really helpful to me. What he said was, you have to remember that, like, within the Trinity, each person of the Trinity is God. Mm-hmm. And they are co-equal. And in, su- in a sense, they are identical except in relationship. Mm. So, really, the only difference between them is the relationship that they have to each other and the relationship that we have to that they have to us. Mm. And so, like, if you know the father, that's why Jesus can say, if you know me, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Mm. And so, like, if we know Jesus really well, yeah, the father's going to look really familiar. And yeah. so is the spirit. And, and I found that really helpful, um, I think, because some of the earthly frameworks that we have for father or for spirit. I had in high school, when I was being confirmed, I asked the pastor, like, how should I think about the Holy Spirit, right? Like, I, I was kind of confused and like, what what even is confirmation and what is this Holy Spirit thing and what's the point? And right. I was I was kind of a pain in the butt um, <laughs> as a teenager. One of those. <laughs> and maybe still am. But, um, <laughs> and he just kind of, the, the poor pastor, God bless his soul, but he just like, he, he really didn't have an answer, you know, and um, and I kind of put him on the spot in front of like 100 teenagers. Right. And his answer was something like, you know, that feeling that you get at a pep rally. And now like <laughs> oh, dear. it just it makes me cringe. <laughs> Poor guy. You know, but like mm-hmm. I did put him on the spot. But also, no. Like, right, because no. it's not a feeling. It's not transient. No, he's a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
there's something true about what he was trying to say. Like there is something about that unity that the Holy Spirit facilitates. True. Yeah. That brings us all into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Like there's something real about that. But there's something so much more. And I think that like as I kind of pray with the Holy Spirit, get to know him a little bit better, um, maybe try to give him just a little extra inch at a time of of being in control, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I'm not terribly good at, but but little by little. And I think the more that he becomes someone easy to fall in love with, like there's yeah. some people that are just easy to fall in love with. <laughs> and like I fell in love with Jesus when I met him, you know, and and the more you kind of realize who the Holy Spirit is, mm. the easier he becomes to fall in love with. And I just I love this portion where he talks about the soul in grace has this ineffable intimacy with the three persons of the most holy, all three. Yeah. And the first is with the Holy Spirit. I think when I met Jesus, I fell in love with him. Mm -hmm. But actually, first it was the Holy Spirit. So mm -hmm. what really happened was when I met Jesus, the Holy Spirit within me mm. moved me to love of him. Right. That's really what happened. If we're going to look at it really kind of even more from the outside. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is an important point because, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of baptism and I talk about it a lot. <laughs> it is really important to recognize that when, as a non-baptized person, when you are moved to love of Christ, you might not have like the official indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that he's not active in your life. No, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And if if God is extending his love to you, and the Holy Spirit is the love, right? Mm -hmm. Like the gift of that love. Then the Holy Spirit really is the one prompting you to that relationship and prompting you to that exploration and and that that love in return. So the consummation, so to speak, of that is is receiving baptism. Yeah. One of the primary responsibilities of a baptized person mm -hmm. is prayer. Yeah. And like in the catechism, there's uh, number 2709 says, what is contemplative prayer? That's the title of the paragraph. Mm -hmm. And um, it gives the answer of St. Teresa of Avila. And she says, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Mm -hmm. And then... The catechism continues, contemplative prayer seeks him whom my soul loves. So it's it's quoting again Song of Songs. It is Jesus and in him the Father. We seek him because to desire him is always the beginning of love. And we seek him in that pure faith which causes us to be born of him and to live in him. In this inner prayer, we can still meditate, but our attention is fixed on the Lord himself. Mm. Where we're talking about like this mystery of like that love that we feel is like actually a person and that person is like in us and we're possessing him, but he possesses it. Just, it feels like it's a lot mm -hmm. and it can kind of be really confusing <laughs> yeah. and like nothing that we're saying actually makes sense. <laughs> but I think in this experience of contemplative prayer, which is available to any baptized person and to anybody who desires it, that all of a sudden that starts to make sense. It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense necessarily in a way that you can like, now Now I can magically put it all into words and explain yeah. it perfectly. But it makes sense in the way of like, it's experiential and I can recognize it when it happens and I will recognize it when I see it again mm -hmm. and um, someone can describe it to me and I'll say, yep, that's the thing you're talking about. I know it, I know, I know it. And I think... I've had a couple people ask me this question through my work on social media when I talk about either the Holy Spirit or when I talk about guardian angels. Like, mm. what's the di different? Like, the way that we talk <laughs> about them, they often have similar, quote-unquote, functions in the uh -huh. way that we speak of them, right? And, and I think it's really important to make this distinction that, well, I mean, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God and a guardian angel obviously is not God. <laughs> is definitely a creature. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I think it's really important to remember that just as we have earthly friends on earth who actually teach us in, in a limited, finite human way what we can expect or mm -hmm. what should we expect of a friend in the divine, right? To, we learn trust and we learn loyalty or we learn how much it hurts not to have that and are reminded that we long for it for a reason, right? Yes. Yeah. 
that's what angels kind of do for us too. They they model friendship and loyalty and protection because they are in a sense, not to not to downgrade them, but like they are in a sense our heavenly friends who guide and protect us as a friend would and intercede for us as a friend would and like give us little pokes to be like, hey, are you listening to the Holy Spirit because he's trying to talk to you <laughs> kind of things. Just like a friend would be like, hey, you know what? God kind of put this word on my heart for you or yeah. For no reason, I just felt like maybe you needed a call today. Are you okay? Like when they do, when friends do those kinds of things on earth, when angels do those kinds of things in a spiritual realm, they are reminding us of the action of the divine and in in the importance of our awareness of those things. The only reason we can really be aware of those things is because of the gift of love in the first place, which means it's because of the Holy Spirit, which means like he really is the origin yeah. of all those relationships. Yeah. And and I love what you're pointing out, too, is like the, the line that Martinez quotes from Thomas Aquinas here is the soul is made like to God by grace. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we are made to be more like God by grace through the action of the Holy Spirit. So that means that not only like the ways that we respond to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit by being the friend that reaches out and says, hey, I don't know why, but I'm I'm wondering how you're doing today. Mm-hmm. That is an action that is like God. Yeah. But then also being able to receive that on the other end and to say, wow, this is this is this was a loving thing or this was to, to be able to recognize like that's that's the Holy Spirit moving you to do this mm-hmm. or to be able even to be able to hear or to feel the promptings of our guardian angel, all of that is also because the Holy Spirit is making us like God in our ability to see and to recognize love and truth and goodness. Mm-hmm. And I really love, Sister Benedict, how you're pulling out that the reception of love is an act of love mm-hmm. and is a divine act. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many times where I feel like we fall into the trap of thinking that we cannot show love because we cannot actively give, right? Whether we're maybe we're in a hospital bed, maybe we're really struggling with depression and we're just sapped of energy yeah. or creativity, or maybe we're just kind of looking at, back at our life with regret, like whatever the case is, mm-hmm. the ability to receive love or the choice to receive love, that is an act of love. Because you think of like, you know, if you're in a hospital bed and naturally you might feel the temptation to feel like a burden, to feel like you wish you could do something, not not to to tax people. You don't want them to do X, Y, Z for you, but they're doing, they're, they're doing it or they're offering to do it because they love you, because mm-hmm. they care about you, because they're willing you're good, even if they don't have like filial affection for you in any way, like if they're a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> but if we are able to open up and say, yes, thank you. If we can't even talk and we just docilely let them help us, that is an act of love. Yes. That is how we show the, the, the finish of that circle, that divine cycle of love is the reception of it. Right? Yeah. So I really hope that if ever you are struggling with that, and I know I, I've definitely struggled with that feeling myself, just to know that in some moments of your life, whether they be short or long in duration, receiving love can be the biggest act of love that you give. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I pulled out this quote when we were just kind of sharing some favorite quotes at the very beginning. Oh, yes. Um, but the I'm just going to read it again because it's awesome. To enjoy the Holy Spirit is to love. Mm. To enjoy the word is to know. But just as the divine persons are inseparable, those divine joys are also intimately bound together. Intimate knowledge produces love. Profound love is a source of light. Whoever enjoys the Son and the Holy Spirit attains to the joy of the Father, plunging himself, so to speak, into the bosom of immense tenderness, into the ocean from which all good proceeds. And just prior to this quote, uh, Martinez says, "It It is in our power to enjoy whenever we wish that happiness which we carry within our souls. For what is ours is ours to dispose of. The gift that has been given to us that we possess is ours, and we may freely make use of God. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. But it, but then but then he clarifies to in, and and he talks about how um, this use is also an enjoyment, right? So to enjoy the Holy Spirit is to love. To enjoy the Word is to know, and to enjoy the Son and the Holy Spirit 
is to enjoy the father. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what he means by use. Like, um, you know, we immediately when we t- talk about using and and a person right. same is problem involved with possession, right? Same, right? Yeah. Like we we think of like objectification and John Paul II and yeah. how that's like the opposite of love. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. Not the about. kind we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about proper ordered love, this enjoyment, and this use is really actually what is the purpose of the gift. Mm. Like God wants us to make use of this gift in this way because making use of this gift means that we love him mm-hmm. and that we love our neighbor. Right. And another way to put it is that like if someone gives you a beautiful gift, do you shove it in a closet? Right. Or do you Use it the way that it's supposed to be used. Right. Like, is it more loving to use the blender that <laughs> somebody got you? <laughs> I don't to know keep why. it in pristine condition. <laughs> I don't know why someone would get you a blender. Maybe you're getting married. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe you really like smoothies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, likewise, if God gives you the ultimate gift, are you going to bury it under a bunch of other stuff? Like junk? Under like, a bushel basket? Right. For example. Or are you going to let it shine to do the yeah. thing that it was meant to do, to transform you, to transform others? So that yeah. when he's saying using, quote unquote, that is what he's talking about. Yeah, and it sounds cliche, but it's it's actually hard to do. Right. Oh, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes it's, I mean, it seems counterintuitive, but sometimes it's easier to stick your flaming light under a flammable bushel basket <laughs> and sometimes like, it's easier to just be like an ostrich and stick your head in the ground than it is to go love right to go use your head for the thing it was supposed to be used for yeah 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 i i love that you're bringing that out sister benedicta because the first quote that you began that whole um section with rant well no not a <laughs> exposition uh-huh. right after that he said he quotes jesus from john 4 where jesus is mm. uh, speaking with a samaritan woman yeah and Jesus' words are, with an exclamation mark, if you did know the gift of God. Mm -hmm. And there are so many times in the Bible where Jesus is like, oh, what should I compare this to? Oh, if only you knew. Oh, if only you would let me do something, right? And I really, the longing in Jesus to communicate this in a way that we can grasp, to me, is so moving. And I have never been a biological parent, right? Right. Uh, obviously. <laughs> right. But nor have I. Yes. Just no, never will be. <laughs> clear in fact. that one yeah. up. Um, but I think it's so important to understand. Like here is something we can understand through parenthood or through I I have personal experience of this through being an older sister and also through being a, a teacher. I was an educator before I entered the convent. How many times there was something that you knew would change a child if they understood. And maybe that thing was just like, actually, that bully is full of hot air mm-hmm. and you are an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And I can see that. And why can't you? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Or even like wrestling with the toddler. Like if you would just take this Tylenol, your fever would go down and you would feel better. Right. But they don't want to let you put it in their mouth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you would just apologize, yeah. this kid would understand that you didn't mean it. Like yeah. all of those different things, right? Yeah. If you would just stop running away from me, mm-hmm. I could help you put a Band-Aid on that bleeding thing. <laughs> you know? Although I've never known a kid to turn out a Band-Aid. <laughs> I have. <laughs> but I, I think, like, that longing for somebody's good, that longing for somebody's joy mm-hmm. and their transformation and their wonder and all of those things you want to bring out in them, that life, that spark in them, Jesus has that for us. He wants us to rejoice in that. And when we talk about like the joy of using the gift, the the joy of delighting in the gift, like he wants that for us. Yeah. Like, I mean, to the point where he says that. Ooh, I know what you're going to say. I've told you all of these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And the thing that I love the most about that verse is I have never been able to find a translation that was not vague about whether or not he means taking all of the joy in his heart and transplanting it into my heart Mm. or that his heart be full of joy because of me. Mm. Like, and I kind of think he means (laughs) both. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that, that his heart can be made full of joy because of us. 
that that's like that's the point because right now in in this passage when he says this he's on his way to the cross this is holy thursday he's on his way to the cross and then in hebrews we hear for the sake of the joy that lay before him he endured the cross mm-hmm. like those to me those two passages are a perfect pair right that his his joy so like to to think of Jesus's heart rejoicing in joy because of us is like just such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But then also to think of him desiring us to be so full of joy that we could follow him is also such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And and to follow him in the miracles that he did, in the healing that he did, in the teaching that he did, to follow him to the cross, to follow him to the resurrection. Mm-hmm. All of it. I have often wondered the morning of the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene truly is beside herself in grief mm-hmm. and pain and worry and probably dealing with things that might otherwise have become PTSD, like mm-hmm. like all of these really difficult things. And she's outside of the tomb and, and the body of the person she loved the most in the entire world has been stolen. Well, she thinks it has possibly desecrated for all mm-hmm. she knows. Mm-hmm. I always wondered, like, if I had seen Jesus' face as he approached her. Do you know what I mean? Like knowing what he was about to say, knowing what was about to happen. You know how when you, I don't know if anyone of you guys have ever done this because it kind of depends on your parents. But if you if you go home to surprise your parents or if, mm-hmm. if you go to surprise a friend like they didn't know you were in the area, you have that like playing it cool, but you can't actually stop your smile <laughs> like kind of face mm-hmm. on. Almost everybody has that face when when they're when it's happening and I always wonder like because he really was witnessing this acute pain in her and you know that his heart broke for her pain. Yeah. But you also know that he's like, "Oh girl, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. I'm back. I'm back." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. and I think that that is such a beautiful meditation to make. However we however we envision it or however the Holy Spirit leads us to reflect with with way, what may have been truly on Christ's face at that moment. Yeah. But but to me it just seems impossible that his face didn't have at least that little like glimmer. Yeah. <laughs> like the joy of knowing what had already happened to her even though she didn't know it, you know. Yeah. And that's the joy that we can have for other people. Like when people say, you know, I don't know, I just I never thought God was real, but like now I'm kind of wondering. I never want to put any expectation on anyone or any pressure on anyone's journey. Everyone has their own pace and their own time. But something in me does a little jig. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you start getting real excited and you're kind of like trying really hard to not show too much. Right. Because you're like, I know God's doing something. Exactly. And that is the joy. It's not Mm -hmm. a joy that places an, an unrealistic expectation or pressure on the person because. You know, we all have our own time. No, and it's not even like the kind of selfish joy of like, I was right and you oh were my wrong. Gosh, yeah, it's no. not that at all. It's no. just like, it's like this, ooh, girl, you don't know what you're in for. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh, you're about to fall in love. Yes. And the guy is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I think too, the, the way that Martinez actually closes this chapter, which I find very interesting, is he starts talking about holy maturity. Mm, mm-hmm. And Depending on how we conceptualize maturity, if you think of a very mature person, I often envision like someone who's a little bit buttoned up, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and not necessarily that they have no sense of any enjoyment of life, but that like there's a seriousness about them and maybe yeah. there's a stoicness about them and they can handle life's storms. There's something rock about them. A kind them. of sobriety. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And often we conceptualize those things at the exclusion of the just like no filter joy like and sometimes when we know someone who's really mature and we see them just like in an outburst of joy we're like oh (laughs) it kind of takes us by surprise as though those things were mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. but they're not and in christ we see all of those realities we see someone who is strong and can bear the you know weather Mm -hmm. the storms of life and we see someone who has the sobriety of reality. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we see a God who says, no, I am I am rejoicing and singing over you as at a festival, that he rejoices in the Holy Spirit and just yells out to God in, in public. <laughs> like, like all these different things. 
they coexist in Jesus because that is the sign of maturity. Yes. And when we get to the point through the Holy Spirit's work in us that we have the sobriety that the Bible reminds us to have, I think in um, Peter's first letter, maybe Mm -hmm. second letter, first letter, he talks about the importance of being like sober and alert, Mm -hmm. right? Because the enemy is prowling something, something like Like a roaring lion. Regular roaring lion. Yeah. And it's an important aspect of, of allowing God to live in us is to allow him to protect us and to be sober and alert in us and to learn that same behavior because that is what helps us see him active, him protecting us, him rejoicing in us, and it allows us that same uninhibited joy. They live together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, there's something of the maturity that's required Mm -hmm. in order to properly, not not even properly, but like something of maturity that is required in order to even actually enter in to the intensity of the joy that's being talked about. Yes. He, Martinez words it more or less, then God works in the soul as one would work in that which belongs to him completely, because it does, Mm -hmm. and the soul enjoys God, enjoys, Mm -hmm. so that joy word, with confidence, with liberty, which is freedom, freedom, mm-hmm. absolute freedom, with the sweet intimacy that we use with our own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, like that, again, that confidence, like this God is my rock kind of confidence, right? That freedom of like no hold bars, no bars. Hold, what is that expression? No holds barred. No. <laughs> Thank you. What she said. And that intimacy that allows for like love to grow mm-hmm. and life to be born, mm-hmm. right? That's so good. So good. God's so cool. I still love that question. Have we thought about what it means to possess the gift of God in our souls? <laughs> I mean, I've thought about it. Yeah. Have I really thought about it? Have I comprehended it? Have I, have I wrapped my head around it? No. I think it's one of those things that that takes a lifetime and beyond. But I love St. Paul in the letter, letter, I think, to the Philippians. He says, he's praying for the Philippians and he says something to the effect of that the good work that God has begun in you yes. will, will come to completion, right? That God will bring mm-hmm. it to completion. And that is, I think, a perfect way of describing God's work in us, even for the pondering and the getting to know this mystery, Mm -hmm. that he begins the work, he continues the work, and he fulfills the work in us. So we will one day get to a point where we understand, so to speak, in heaven, when we have the beatific vision, what this means. Yeah. But up until that point, it's not like we don't have any clue, bang, we have a clue. He's building that in us. He's he's working on that in us. Right. From this very moment until then. And he will bring it to completion. Okay, I don't know if this is concrete enough, but okay. I think a challenge that a lot of us have in general in life, but, but maybe we could approach more intentionally, is asking the Holy Spirit in all practicality to help us rejoice in another person. Ooh. Mm-hmm. The way that he rejoices in us and we are called to rejoice in him and knowing that he rejoices in that person even if we don't. Like to pick someone that I do not naturally rejoice in, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially, and to ask him to help you see that person with his eyes and to mm-hmm. rejoice in them or mm-hmm. at least something about them. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I love in that. Being. I love that. And maybe, maybe one of each, maybe somebody that it's easy f- that it's really easy for me to rejoice in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody that I find it a little difficult. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's your challenge, guys. <laughs> it's a good one. I'm going to try to do it. Can't promise I'll be good at it. Well, the thing is, we can't, we can't do it by ourselves, right? Yeah. 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 All right. That's really beautiful. So I guess um, the, the chaplet for the gifts of the Holy Spirit is particularly fitting for the end of this episode. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't we go ahead and begin that? So we'll begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the first decade is for the gift of wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. 
Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. The second set is for the gift of understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. The third set is for the gift of counsel. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of fortitude. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, Come make your home in my heart. For the gift of knowledge. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of piety. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of fear of the Lord, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, 
and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come, make your home in my heart. By myself, I I can can do nothing, nothing, but but with God God I can can do do all things. For the love of God I want to do all things. To him honor and glory, to me the eternal reward. Holy Spirit, vivify me. Love of God, consume me. The way of truth, lead me. With your grace, empower me. You are the promised one sent by the Father, reminding us of all that Jesus' Master taught. I ask you for no other knowledge, no other wisdom, than that of Christ crucified, and that he may live in me. Thank you so much for listening. Dare to Dwell is a production of the Daughters of St. Paul and is brought to you by our generous supporters on Patreon. For more information about our sisters or ministry, or to learn about how you can support us, visit connect.pauline.org Patreon. God bless you.